Yeah, how many of you have a papa chair? You have a daddy chair or a grandpa chair? Yeah, I think we all have a chair like that that you can't eat on. Nobody's supposed to sit on. And if somebody is in that seat, when daddy comes home or grandpa comes home, they're out of that seat. It's just part of the rules or an unwritten rule of family. Some of you have a favorite cereal bowl. Some of you have a favorite coffee cup. You know, it's just nobody can use that. Some of you have a favorite TV channel. Some of you have a favorite parking spot. You know, it's just part of the rules of the family. Rules are good. Some rules are good, but some are questionable. Now, when we talk about the family, there are certain rules that are put into place. In fact, God brought in the family. It was his idea. But ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, that man began to redefine family. And so man began to do what they thought was best for the family, and they brought in their own rules. Well, Paul the Apostle, when he speaks to this new church that was planted in Thessalonica, he says to them, here are some house rules in which you are to live by. Because when you live by these rules, and he's not talking about the, the relationship with Jesus Christ, he's just talking about how you conduct yourself. He's saying, when you live by these certain house rules, then you'll be a better people. Because when they first planted that church, they were, they were brand new in learning about the things of God. So they still had their old ways, just like us. We have our old ways, but then when we come into uh, a relationship with Jesus Christ, then things change. And so now there's a new way to live. And sometimes it's hard to adjust and transition into that new way because things are different. But Paul wanted to encourage the people to let them know that this is the best way to go. Rules are great. Some are good. Some are questionable. But rules are put into place for a certain reason. Uh, the other week, one of our nephews, uh, one of our staff children had a, a surgery. that He had to take out his tonsils. And the rule was you couldn't speak for at least two days nor eat anything for about a week so that it could heal. And so as he's going through this, he's so miserable, probably lost close to 20 pounds just through the process. And so when I seen him, I said, hey, how are you doing? And I would hug him and, and I, I forgot, oh yeah, you can't speak. I'm so sorry. And, and, and I'm thinking, can you write stuff down? And it's so difficult because he's so lively and peppy, but not at this time. And then the other week, uh, he, we, we had a potluck at a friend's house and he couldn't eat the food there. And he still couldn't speak. Well, this past week, he was in my office, and I said, so how are you doing? Are you able to speak better now? And he said, yeah, I can, I can start speaking now. And I said, so what was the most difficult part of this? Was it not talking? What was it? He said, no, no, it was not eating. I said, no, I can understand that. I would have a difficult time myself. But I asked, so as you went through this process, how did you feel? I mean, what was it like? He says, well, it was hard because, you know, you can't talk for one thing, and then you couldn't eat, and that's another situation you got to deal with. And I said, but how is the healing? And he says, it, it is, it's healed so much quicker than what the doctor said it would. And it's healing much, fa much faster than what it, what it normally should be. And so I thought about that, and I said, so the reason why you weren't, weren't supposed to talk or you weren't supposed to eat was so that you could heal quicker. He says, yeah. And I thought that's the basic function of rules. 
Rules are put into place for a specific reason. There are purposes for rules. For some of us, God puts in certain things in our lives so that we can heal quicker. He puts certain things in our, in our homes, in our families, so that we can become stronger. So that we can function as how He intended it to be. There are certain rules that are unwritten that you and I come up with just by daily routine. In fact, some of you have rules when it comes to this thing called rebags. I am amazed at how difficult it is for many of you to go shopping now because of rebags. I was in the store the other week, and, and here's this guy in front of me, and, and he had all these items in the wagon. And he said, and then the lady said, oh, do you, do you have rebags? And he said, rebags? What's that? He said, the rebags. To, did you come with a bag? He says, no. She goes, well, you're going to have to pay for the bags. He goes, pay? I got to pay for those bags. She goes, yes, it's a nickel each. A nickel? He goes, no, I don't need one bag. She said, but uh, how are you going to carry those out? I take in your wagon. And so he's loading all these items in the car. And I'm thinking, I'm sure at that point he's saying, man, I should have paid the dime for those two bags. Now, when it comes to rebags, there's, there's laws with plastic. We're trying to do away with plastic, so we have these rebags. But here's where the rules come in, and we have some rebags. Some of you, and it's not a bad thing, some of you would not go into Walmart using a Target bag. I don't know why. Like, I just walk in. I didn't know it was that much of a difference. What do you feel? Like, people looking at you, oh, you got a Target bag in Walmart? The employees are like, yeah, we got a Target bag on aisle four. Just don't even look at that guy. Just let him go. What do you feel? Some of you are smart. You just bring neutral bags. You know, you bring in like one of these. Aloha. Honu. Tutu. Ono. Mahalo. Hanaho. Poke. Poke. How's it? The kind. This is, this is a rebag. Some of you will carry that. Yeah, we have loves over here. We get polka dots. This is a neutral bag. See, you can walk in with this and you'll be fine. This is a Deleuze Chevrolet. This is a Iga. Tomatoes. We have our women's ministry bag. Awesome. And then we also have this pink bag, Ben Franklin Crafts. So if you're going to go to another store with that and walk in the craft area, that would be awesome. This one is a KTA bag. Yeah, go safe way with this one. <laughs> so, so we have all kinds of different bags. We have a New Hope bag, Sports Authority bag. You don't, don't want to go sports line with that one, so... See, we have all these different bags. There's another KTA one, and there's a Foodland one. Walk-in Foodland KTA. Watch out. So we have all these different bags, and then there's the Walmart bag. And I thought, we've made it so difficult to just go shopping. Because husbands, if you got to go in with all these bags, and then you got to figure out which one is the frozen bag, which one is the cold bag, which one is the smaller one for smaller items, and then which one has that plastic thing on the bottom. We go nuts. That's why we don't like to shop. That's not the reason, but that's another reason why we don't like to shop. It just becomes so difficult. So many rules just to go shopping. Now, it's like we've, we've gotten so far from why we have rebags. I know for some of the ladies, you look for the nicest rebag. And you'll go shopping with that one. But we got to remember, rebags... And the rules and the laws of rebags was for the purpose of our environment. That's what it's for. 
the law of not having plastic was because of our environment. It, it, it takes so long for it to decompose and it was causing so much rubbish that we said, you know what, we need to do rebags. It's like now we got to go the other way around and go back to packages and lend a hand to clean our land. And so we have all these laws put into place, but we forget about them because we go so far from the purpose. That's what can happen in the family. That we go so far from the purpose of why we put certain things in place in the family. And this morning, as we look at certain things that Paul was doing, we're going to find that Paul was trying to encourage the church and how they are to live and trying to bring in this new way of living because they're a brand new church. And Paul, poor guy, he comes in, plants this church, and then they run him out of town. Well, he writes these two letters, First and Second Thessalonians, to the church in how they should conduct their lives. And as he writes this letter, it's in, I'm going to read in Second Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 15. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. First, uh, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And what Paul was trying to do is, is just remind them that this is a new way of living. It's a different kind of life. Because it's a new life created in Christ Jesus. For many of us, we don't know this new life yet. We're still learning about it. But he gives basic functions on how they should operate as a church family. The principles are there for us to learn from. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. He says, We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle or this letter, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother." So here comes Paul with some house rules, and, and if we look at rules, it's really a prescribed guide for conduct or action. That's why we bring in these rules. In other words, he's saying, do the basics well, and you can build your life from that foundation. That was Paul's message, and Paul was demonstrating that, that you must lead differently. Now that you're a, a believer in Christ, based on who your followers are and the context in which they live, in other words, your family. You live differently now. And some of the, the Thessalonians had grown lazy. They just got lazy and they didn't prepare for the next day or tomorrow or the future. Nor did they care much about who or what they might leave behind when they left. In other words, Paul brought in the basic lifestyle for the family to live by. And we put certain rules in our home so that our family can function at its best as well as each individual to their fullest potential. 
in your bulletin, there's a place for notes that you can take and, and follow along. But it says in Psalm 101, verses, verse 2, it says, I will be careful to live a blameless life. And the psalmist is thinking through these things. That when will you help me? Have you ever cried out to God and say, God, when, when are you going to help me? And then he says this, I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. That's where it begins. It begins in the home. It begins in the family. That's where integrity is built. And what the psalmist is saying is, make that, make that decision that I will walk with integrity, lead a life of integrity in my own home. There are certain rules that we live by as a prescribed guide for conduct and action that we live by in our world. For photographers or videographers, you, you live by the rule of thirds when you're taking pictures or the golden ratio as an artist. You use certain rules. In the military, we have this thing called rules of engagement. That's, that way you know what you need to do when it comes to that situation of engaging with the enemy. And then you also have with sports, you have rules for the game. And right now in the NBA, you have the finals and there are certain rules that they must live by to play the game correctly. Rules are good. Some are questionable. When it comes to the family, we're going to look at three simple life rules to build our life on as well as our family. And the first rule we're going to look at is the rule of discipline. The rule of discipline. Now this one, it, it's, uh, it takes a lot of work because, especially if you're married, because you're coming in with a set of discipline and your spouse is coming in with a set of discipline and how you grew up and maybe where you are in your life right now. So you have two different kinds of disciplinary type of people coming together. And so we're actually going to look at two different kinds of discipline. Discipline like a disciplined life, but then discipline as how parents discipline their children. So the first one is, is, is as we have a disciplined life, is to have an orderly life. That we function in order. Because some of us, we're just scattered. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means there are some disciplines that we just don't live by. We, not that we don't care, but we just don't know how to. Maybe we're working on it. Or maybe we don't know that we need to be disciplined in certain areas. Second Thessalonians, as he says in verse 7, uh, chapter 3, says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. And he said this, For we were not disorderly among you. And what Paul is saying is, there's a certain kind of discipline that we live by, so that we're not disorderly among other people. And that word disorderly, what he used that from is actually a military term, where when they would fall out of marching orders. And if you watch the military, they have certain, certain marching orders that they, they will go by. And, and if you fall out of line... It's noticeable. It's noticeable when they, when they neglect their duty in the military. It's noticeable. It's noticeable when someone is lawless. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying when you live a disciplined life, it's noticed. When you live an undisciplined life, it's noticed. And so he's saying don't be disorderly. Be a disciplined kind of person. And I think we all want to live a disciplined life. The question is, how disciplined are you? How disciplined are you when it comes to the care of yourself, your personal hygiene? How do you care for your car? How do you care for your time management? How do you care in those areas? Or are you just, whatever happens, happens. I have no calendar system. I just, I just remember everything. 
And then you come home and your wife is getting ready for something and you're like, where are you going? We have a party tonight. You know a party tonight? Yes, I told you five months ago we were planning this. You know, what, five months ago? I didn't even know what happened today. So it's just different because you, you don't have that discipline. It's not a bad thing if it doesn't really affect you, but it can become a horrible thing if it affects everybody else. And so having a discipline in our family when it comes to an, a disordered life makes a difference. Once we say, no, I'm going to start to be disciplined in these certain areas, it helps with everything else. The question is, do you live a disordered life? Do you know what your day is like? Or do you just jump in, hey, whatever happens, happens, but by the end of the day, you're just, your brain is tweaked. You're just like so far gone and you're saying, I just want to go home. Then by the time you get home, because there's no order, it's even worse. So the Bible is saying, no, 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 there's order that takes place and God can help with that, but it takes discipline. And the second one is the function when it comes, when it comes to discipline. The second function is the behavior maintained by training. And this is when it comes to our children, because we all grew up being disciplined. Now there are some parents that they say, I I didn't need to spank my children. I just talked to them and they turned out okay. Oh, God bless you. But then there are some of us who I guess we just couldn't take it. And then we said, you know, get over here. And so we had to give them some spanking. Now, there is a difference between punishing our children and disciplining our children and spanking and child abuse. The Bible says, yes, discipline, but it must be done in an orderly manner. That you never discipline out of anger. Because then it can turn into child abuse. And the Bible is saying that's not what God is saying. God is not saying to do that to our children. He's saying you need to raise them up in my way and how they should function. As the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 15, to discipline a child produces wisdom. But a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. So what is the difference then between punishment and discipline? Because if the Bible is saying we need to discipline our children, how do we know when to punish, when to discipline? How do we know that? What's the balance? Well, punishment actually focuses on a past misdeed. And so you reprimand them for that. Discipline focuses on future development and future hope, future potential. And so you discipline them that way. You speak to them that way. If there is a, a, like a spanking, please do it on the place God put the most padding because that's where it is. As I, I love it how, how one Irish person says it. He says, the lad was dull at school, you see. His dad took things to heart. He took his lad across his knee and there he made him smart. <laughs> so... <laughs> One study states this, a child who has not been taught the meaning of the word no, by the time he is four years old, has spent four years in the academic school of crime. By four years old. If they haven't been disciplined with saying no, and us teaching them what it means to not have, that's four years of them being disciplined, being undisciplined. It's okay as parents to tell your children no. It's okay. And children, I know it's hard to sit here right now and hear what we're talking about today, but you're going to be blessed as we continue to talk about the family rules. 
See, if we never teach our children what it means to accept a no, then when they go out into the world, they will have a low self-esteem. Because when people say, nope, you're not cut out to do this. Nope, you can't do this. Nope, you're not hired. Nope, you didn't get the job. Nope, you didn't qualify for this. Oh, they'll shut down. But if we teach them how to accept no, then their confidence is not in other people. Their confidence is in the Lord. Even God himself tells us no, and he teaches us how to deal with it. Because he may not show us the why, but he'll show us what. And we just got to trust in him. By the way, children, if you're here this morning, you may feel like your parents don't understand, but they do because they were there once themselves. And sometimes as children, I remember saying this, Mom, when I have kids, I'm going to let them do whatever they like. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work first year, never work. But that's, it's kind of like we think that. We think our parents say no or our parents do certain things because they don't want us to have fun. But there's a certain discipline that comes in that parents understand about. And although parents will discipline, the best discipline of all is the ability to self-correct internally before God has to correct externally through other people. And even as we work on certain disciplines, that's the best way to correct when it comes to discipline. It's, it's, it's self-correction. It's not waiting for somebody else. It's not waiting for God. It's saying, no, I need to discipline myself in this area. And God shows up, especially for many of us who deal with this thing called blended families. What do you do with discipline when it's a blended family? You know, I have my children, you have your children. And and so you're saying, well, how, how do we do that? Because it seems like it's unfair. It seems like you treat your children different than how you treat my children. It seems like you, you treat your children different than you treat my children. So why don't you just discipline them? Why don't you just discipline them and just leave it at that? The problem is when mom's not around or dad's not around to these children, you still got to correct. So what do you do? I like how Herm Edwards says it. Herm Edwards is an ex-NFL coach, and he was now an analyst for the NFL. And he says it like this. He says, I treat everyone fair, but I don't treat everyone the same. And God is kind of like that. God treats us all fairly. He gave us grace and mercy. He treats us fairly, but he may not treat us all the same. He has no favorites. And when it comes to the family structure, especially if it's a blended family, you got to sit down and make a decision. And if you feel that your, your spouse or, or they're, that they're treating your children differently, you got to sit down and talk about it. If you have to bring in a third person, do that. Bring in a pastor or someone who's neutral that can bring in the, the, the ways of God and then go from there. If not, you'll try and figure it out as you go and It'll be a train wreck. Because you will always feel that one is favored over the other. It's just like that. But you've got to come to a, a, an agreement. And when you come into an agreement, you're actually coming into an agreement with God because you're in that situation, and God knew it. So he's going to provide the way out. Well, I thought, well, if we go through these things with our children, our families, who, who would be the best person to learn discipline from? If, if I'm a father... And if you're a mother, where could you learn the best discipline? As a mother, you would look for the perfect mom. As a father, you'd look for the perfect father. Problem is, there are none. 
And so how do we glean from one another? Yeah, we can learn certain things, but how about we go to the perfect parent, God himself? And this is how the Bible states it in Hebrews 12, verse 7. It says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? So God uses himself as an example of what it means to discipline. And he's saying there are times where you're going to have to endure. We endure divine discipline. And he's saying you're just going to have to endure. But just remember that God is treating us just like his very own children. Therefore, even with your children or in a blended family, your, your, your stepchildren, that you would treat them as your very own. That you would love them. And I know you do. You love them like your very own. But you ask God, God, how can I do this? Because I want to learn from you. You're the perfect parent. But even the perfect parent has undisciplined children and children that go wayward, or that are wayward, children that go astray. But if we learn from him, that's the best place to learn this thing called discipline. Discipline as a life in order, or that's in order, and discipline as how we treat our children or raise them up. The second rule is a rule of work. And this is a tough one. See, economists have different beliefs. You know, they have different uh, opinions. They'll do different studies. And so when it comes to the economy and work and employment, we have all these different uh, views and different data coming in. And so where do we go with that? Well, I always say God's economy is the best economy. That's who we trust in. And yes, we still need our politicians, we still need our laws, we still need to vote, we still need to make decisions when it comes to our economy, but God's economy is the best. Regardless of economists' opinions, the reality is that many are without work. Then we can look at, at, at our president today and look at past presidents and say, oh, it was their fault, oh, if they didn't do this, and oh boy, we wouldn't be in better shape. And, and sure, there are certain decisions that, of course, we can look in hindsight and say, it could have been better. If we didn't do this, but the reality is this is where we are. But we did not come into debt as a nation 15 years ago. We didn't come into debt as a nation 30 years ago. Whereas today we're $16 trillion in debt. It didn't happen 100 years ago. It actually happened 150 years ago in 1863, where for the very first time our federal deficit was at $1 billion dollars how we would love as a nation to be in debt, just $1 billion. But today, over $16 trillion, which we bring it home to Hawaii, we're in debt $13 billion, which accounts for about $9,500 each that we're in debt. Some more, some less, but that's the average. 31,000 unemployed, give or take, uh, I don't know, a couple hundred, or, or I don't know how they figure that out, but there are also those unaccounted for when it comes to unemployment. So the reality is there. It's hard to find work in our economic system right now with a population of 1.4 million people in Hawaii. So it is difficult. People will move around just to find work, so it's very difficult. Families will work. Husband will work, wife will work, children will work as, as they get to that age. And everyone will do their very best to contribute. Some will work two jobs, sometimes three or more, doing everything possible. And Paul saw this, and, and Paul addressed it in, in the church. And he, he said this in verses 8 through 11. 
It says, you know, we never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. The rule is simple. How can I eat if I don't have any income? How will I get any income if I don't work? Notice Paul is saying those who are unwilling, unwilling to work, will not get to eat. Because there are many who are willing to work. There are many who are saying, I want to work, but because of your situation, you're just not able to. So Paul is not addressing those who are unwilling to work, uh, those who are willing to work and and, and find themselves in a, a tough spot. He's saying those who are unwilling to work. And then you have those in the category of living idle lives, refusing to work. Just refusing to work. So Paul addresses that. And and then there are those who, because they have nothing else to do, they interfere and bother everybody else. I can borrow $20. I can borrow $50. You owe me $100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have to borrow from so-and-so to pay you back. But no worries, I'm going to pay you back. And you deal with all of that put together, yeah, you can see how it can become difficult to just find work unwilling, not able to. It's difficult. Have you ever been around a lazy person? Don't look around. I'm just asking a rhetorical question. Have you ever been around a lazy person? Do you know a lazy person who can work, but they just refuse to work? And they say, oh, I work. Well, you got to pay bills. I know, but not yet. Not now. But they just refuse to work. And Paul is saying, wait a minute. The principle is there. If you're not working, how are you eating? I'll go to my mom's house. I'll go to my dad's house. I'll go to my friend's house. How long are you going to do that? I don't see you 80 years old. I'm going to go to my auntie's house. I go. <laughs> Not saying that's old. I'm just saying, you know, that's how I think of myself. But oh, I'm in dead, I'm dead meat when it comes to age. The Bible speaks about the lazy person. And it addresses it because the Bible wants to encourage us. And it, it says it like this, Proverbs twelve twenty four. it says, work hard and become a leader. But then it goes on the opposite. It says, be, be lazy and become a slave. I remember when Heidi and I were dealing with this and, and she was working and I wasn't working and, and the finances were tight and, and I was at home and boy, did it feel good to not work. But I was the one watching the kids, and I was thinking, she had to do this. How did she do this? It's almost like I'd rather work than watch the kids. It's almost easier to go work. By the time she comes home, I'm like, where you was? All day I was with the kids. And she's like, what happened? The house is a mess, dishes in the sink. I'm like, I don't know how you do this. I got to find a job. I need to go work. And it's like we went through that season, and I remember looking for work, and it wasn't easy but we, we did whatever we needed to do, and, and I had to go out there and find work. And it wasn't easy, I understand. But what I didn't do is just make resumes and put them out and say, oh, okay, it's in God's hands. 
I had to be proactive. I had to double check and, and, and do something about it, move on it, do something with my personal life and not turn into a lazy person. I had to be proactive and then do something about it. And I remember as, as, as times began to change and I had to figure things out and then open up a business, that became different too. It was another season of working because now you're working for yourself and now you're trying to figure out the finances, you're trying to figure out the bills and boy, it gets so tight and you're living not even paycheck to paycheck, but you're going backwards. But I found this out. When we're willing to do the legwork, then God is willing to bring in the paycheck. If I'm not willing to do the legwork, God is saying, wait a minute, this is a relationship. It's a relationship with me. It's not just you on your own and me on my own. It's together we're going to do this. And so God encourages us. He says, you're going to be a great leader. That's what I see in you. So work hard. And you become a great leader. Don't fall into laziness. And so I had to do whatever needed to be done to find work legally. Let's move on. That's the rule of work. Now, some of you might say, well, what about our children? Because they're working, and, and is it okay if they contribute to the family? That's fine. If you agree on that and that helps, I applaud you for the teenagers who are working and they're contributing to the family, or you're contributing to your own thing. You know, for our children, uh, now this was our family rule, they could not get a cell phone unless they worked two years and they paid for it themselves. So my, my kids, when they came up to me, hey, Dad, can I have a cell phone? Yeah, all you got to do is get a job. And you hold it for two years, and then you can get it. Oh, but by then I'm going to be 18. Hmm, good point. <laughs> now, I know it doesn't always work out that way, but that's just what we needed to do. It was a part of the rules. It was a certain thing we we're trying to teach our children. And I understand that there are some situations that you do have a teenager that's working, and that's great. And then you also have this thing called chores. Some of your children have chores. And I'm sorry to say, but some of the children might not like me right now, but chores are good. I didn't believe that when I was growing up, so I had a hard time with chores. And I didn't like doing this thing called the dishes. That was the worst thing because people who put the dishes in the sink at least soak it. Don't just throw it in the sink or leave it on the counter and then three days later the thing is solid. I'd rather throw the thing away and buy another one. That's what I felt. But I had to wash dishes and, and I didn't like doing that in my home when I was growing up, so I just didn't. And my mom used to tell me over and over, do the dishes. And I said, no, I don't like doing the dishes. I'll do something else. But I just became lazy when it came to dishes. And then I met my wife, Heidi. Now in their home, dishes was strategically done. They would scrub the sink down with Comet or Ajax. Scrub the sink down and wash it down before you wash dishes. And then you'd wash dishes and no sense put them in the dry rack because you had to wipe the dishes. So they would wash the sink, wash the dishes, rinse the dishes, put it in the rack, but wipe it and then put it away. And I was thinking, how long is that going to take? Leave them in the dishwasher thing and let them dry and then just take them from there and then you put them in the cabinet. That's what my thought was. But because I was living with them, that was the rule. And so that was a chore just to do dishes. And so we clean the table and, 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 and then wash dishes. But I'm glad I went through that. Because now I don't like it when there are dishes in the sink. 
I like a clean, you know, uh, kitchen area. And Heidi loves to come home to a clean house. Right, moms? Don't you love coming home to a clean house? I'm sure dads do too. You love coming home to a clean house. But that's just a part of the family structure when it comes to chores. And children, you may not like it today, but it's only going to benefit you for tomorrow. You may not realize it today. And it's okay if you don't realize it today, but one day you will because there are certain principles that are being built into you today when it comes to chores. Now you're thinking, I came to church to hear about Jesus. I don't want to hear about chores. But as the Bible says, and I love it, this is is coming from the Bible. So Jesus speaks this in Colossians 3.20. It says, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. It's well-pleasing to the Lord. Do the basics well, and you can build your life from that foundation. Then it continues in verse 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So whenever we're doing chores, whenever we're at work, whatever we put our hands to, you're not doing it for the company, you're doing it for Jesus. You're doing it for the King of all kings. You're doing it because you love Christ, not necessarily the job. And when we have that kind of attitude when it comes to the rule of work, you'll see your countenance, everything change, because now you understand who you're doing this for. It's not for anybody else, but for Jesus himself. And then the last rule is the rule of company. And Paul addressed this, and he was saying there are certain things that are happening that you've got to be careful of. And he wants to address this because it, it affects the family. Because there are certain people we used to hang around with or a certain group of people we used to hang around with that might not be healthy for the family. And you might be thinking, yeah, but I have family members that are not healthy for my entire family. I have relatives that are not healthy for my family. Does that mean I don't hang around with them? Well, what the Bible is going to address is how you go about this. Not necessarily just cutting everybody off and say, no, 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 you're no good, you're no good, you is no good. It's just saying, Lord, what, is, what are you saying for myself? What are you saying for my family? In other words, Paul is going to address who you surround yourself with. And he states it like this in Second Thessalonians 3, verses 14 and 15. He says, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle or this letter, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. What Paul is saying is just be cautious of who you hang around with. And we we got to make those decisions. I chose not to hang around certain people because they would badmouth other people or they would badmouth the church. It was, that, it was just simple. That I'm, I'm just not going to hang around those people. Why, why would we want to hang around people who only tear down? Because if they're talking to you about other people when they're not around, they're talking about you to those people when you're not around. It's that simple. The principle is there. So Paul says, just be careful who you hang around with. And when I surround myself with people who tear down, I set myself up for a tear down life or a broken down life. Paul says, don't do it. Some time ago, I had this friend who uh, just had this vision to plant this church. And so he, he met with me and he said, you know, I have this vision to plant the church. And I really feel God saying that you're supposed to be the youth pastor. And at that time, I was just volunteering here, and I said, okay. 
He says, yeah, it'll be, it'll be great. And, you know, we can do this, this and that. And you can have a great paycheck and it'll be good. And I said, okay, let me pray about it. And the moment I went to God, I felt God say, no, that's not for you. And so I went back to the person. I said, you know, I felt God say, no, that it's not for me. He said, what? Why not? And I said, well, I, I just don't feel that it's God speaking to me. And he started to, started to entice me at different things. And I said, no, I, I don't think so. Well, as time went on and we continued to meet because we were friends, he said, uh, he began to speak negatively about the people I loved. The people I would see as honorable men and women. Then he started to speak bad about the church. And, I, and I, after a while, I... I called him up and, I, and I, I said, you know, I don't feel comfortable of us talking like that about these people and about the church. And I don't think we should be talking like that. It's kind of like gossiping already. And he said, no, 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 we're not gossiping. I'm just, you know, we're just talking it out so we can pray. And I said, okay. Then why'd you have to tell me about it? You could have just prayed to God. He knows. You don't have to tell me. But then I, I made a stand and I said, no, I, I don't, I don't want to talk about those things. And he said, oh, okay. We kind of still hung out after a while, but then it, it just diminished. No longer was I invited to certain things. And I was fine with that. And I really felt that God saying, I'm just protecting you. And so when I made that decision, then I could function as how God created me to function. And so by the time that season was over, after a while, he and his wife split up. He had an affair. They got divorced. Church fell apart, and now is no more. And I thought, Lord, would I have been in the same situation if I followed the negative and the gossip and I kept surrounding myself with those kinds of people? What, what would have become of myself and my family? And I thought, sometimes making the tough decision is the best decision when it comes to who we choose to hang around with. I refuse to speak negative about any church because we're not talking about the church. We're not persecuting the church. We're persecuting Christ. Remember Paul the apostle? That's what Jesus said to him. He said, Paul, Paul. Well, Saul was his name. He says, you're, you're persecuting me. No matter how much a church leader, and we have many wonderful churches in our community, no matter how much things don't go well, it's Christ who's the head of the church. And so I've decided, Lord, I'm going to surround myself with people that, that love you, people that speak well of other people, and I'm going to make a stand. What kind of company do you surround yourself with? Who do you hang around with at work? Do you just talk about other co-workers, or are you looking for the best interest of the company, of each other's families and your lives, or are you just gossiping about everybody else? feeling good about yourself. I think God wants to bring a strong word to say, you're better than that. You're more valuable than that. He has a vision for your life, but it cannot be accomplished because you continue to surround yourself in that kind of situation. At school, when you go to school, who do you hang around with? As it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Many are deceived. He says, evil company corrupts good habits. And we can look at these three rules and it'll help, but these prescribed rules or, or guides are for conduct and action. And we can look at these three rules and say, boy, yeah, that's, that's good to live by. But again, it's not about rules when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. 
Because some people might say, well, I, I thought this, this relationship with Jesus wasn't about rules and regulations. The rules and, and things we live by has to do with people or our family rather than our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because with Jesus Christ, he came to fulfill all these rules or the laws or the statutes. And this is what he says in Matthew 15, uh, excuse me, 517. It says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. In other words, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the laws of God. He is the one who is able to fulfill these basic truths and these guidelines for conduct and action for the family. Basically, what Jesus is encouraging us with is don't hang around sin. As our last scripture as we conclude, Romans 6, 12 through 14, it says, Sin must no longer rule in your mortal bodies so that you obey the desires of your natural self, nor must you surrender any part of yourselves to sin to be used for wicked purposes. Instead, give yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and surrender your whole being to Him to be used for righteous purposes. Sin must not be your master, for you do not live under law, but under God's grace. I'm so thankful for God's grace and that Jesus came to fulfill all the laws. And if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and all these principles and rules that we're trying to bring into place, he'll fulfill them all. And he says, have you surrendered it all to God? And if you have not done that, especially with our families, we're going to have an opportunity to do that as we close in prayer. I'm going to invite Arnold to come up to the piano. And we're going to pray and, and, and uh, just close in prayer. And, and, of course, for our family members right now. So would you bow your heads with me? Lord, as we, as we pray together, not just as a church, but as families, Lord, we pray that we would be a family that's, that's well-disciplined. And it's, it's not about being a perfect family, but it's, it's being a family that is a little bit more in order. And, and we can only work on our things. We can only do the very best with what we know to do. Yes, we can encourage one another and we can help one another. But ultimately, we're responsible for our own lives. So Lord, we pray for our our spouses. We pray for our children. We pray for the family. That even in this new season with, with some that are graduating, some that are in college, our children are growing up. We, we live differently because we believe in you. We don't operate in the same manner we used to. But seasons come and go. For some of us, our children are transitioning from, from baby to toddler. Some from toddler to what we call a tweener or a eight, nine, ten years old. And, and some are, are transitioning from the 10-year-old, 12-year-old to 13 and teenage years. And some are beyond that, transitioning into adulthood. Time goes by so fast, Lord. And so may we pause and slow down just a bit so that we can take good care of our family. Because in the end, family is forever. And so we thank you. Strengthen us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, Amen. 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 Amen.
But we kind of went over time, so I'm going to dismiss you this morning. And uh, I just pray through this series that we'll continue to become the family that God made us to be. Amen.